Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. We're into the final half hour of today's episode of the program today. Uh, I need to talk to you about two things here. A moment ago, before the break, I told you that I was going to walk through some of uh, my views on how the events of January 6th in the capital of the United States uh, transpired, how they compare to the violence in the streets just last summer. Uh, the, the, you know, the astute listener and the fan of this program, uh, you probably have recognized that I have not made uh, any comparisons, that I have not once talked about how uh, January 6th compares to the summer of last year. That has been intentional. And I'll explain why in, in just a moment. So bear with me here. But first, before we get to that conversation, I want to I need to share something with you that just a moment ago came across my desk. Uh, and it comes from the office of First Lady Melania Trump. She has, via Twitter, posted a seven-minute uh, video address where she bids farewell. Now, because I've been here chatting with you, I haven't heard the entire message, and I, I don't exactly have seven minutes to play the whole thing, but I do have some excerpts here uh, that Gustavo was able to, to get for us. So uh, here's what we're going to do. Uh, for just a moment here, we're going to listen to a bit of uh, First Lady Melania Trump's farewell address. I'll share the, the full uh, remarks, the full seven minutes on my Facebook page. And uh, after the program later on today, when you have time, make your way over there and have a listen. I'll be doing so uh, myself. So here, uh, let's have a listen to it. And you and I will be listening to it for the first time together. It came out, was released on social media just a few moments ago, a farewell message from First Lady Melania Trump. Here is the first portion of that farewell. My fellow Americans, it has been the greatest honor of my life to serve as First Lady of the United States. I have been inspired by incredible Americans across our country who lift up our communities through their kindness and courage, goodness and grace. The past four years have been unforgettable. As Donald and I conclude our time in the White House, I think of all of the people I have taken home in my heart and their incredible stories of love patriotism, and determination. You'll remember early in the Trump administration, there was an initiative spearheaded by First Lady Melania Trump called uh, Be Best. Here she talks uh, about that theme. The promise of this nation belongs to all of us. Do not lose sight of your integrity and values. Use every opportunity to show consideration for another person and build good habits into our daily lives. 
In all circumstances, I ask every American to be an ambassador of Be Best, to focus on what unites us, to raise above what divides us, to always choose love over hatred, peace over violence, and others before yourself. I can get on board with that message. That's outstanding. Yeah, always put others before yourself. Doesn't matter who is uh, offering that plea. It's a, it's a good plea to answer. So there's just about a minute or so of the seven-minute address delivered just today in a farewell speech of sorts by First Lady Melania Trump. You'll find it in just a moment on my social media. Uh, have a listen, you know, uh, and, and wonder, as I do, what does she do next? How will the days uh, following her time as First Lady be lived? I don't know. I wish her the very best. Same for the rest of the family. Baron, too. Anyway, let's get back to the topic at hand. I was heartbroken on the 6th of January as I saw a building that I have cherished for for so long. Since I was a young child and I took one of those close-up trips to visit our nation's capital and visited the United States Capitol building, which quite literally sits on Capitol Hill. When I saw uh, people tearing down the doors, smashing the windows, uh, assaulting one another, ultimately uh, taking the life of a United States uh, Capitol Police officer. Uh, absolutely heartbreaking and devastating. And, you know, in the, in the news business here, I try to uh, look at these issues from as many angles as possible. And one of the natural comparisons that st- that jumped up, uh, both in the commentators and in the reporters and in the comments left by those listeners and on social media and elsewhere, was uh, a call to compare what we saw uh, on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol, comparing that to the uh, the protests and the riots and the occupation efforts which played out in the streets of uh, cities large and small across this country uh, just last summer. I have been under immense pressure to uh, to share my comparative view of that. How can you react uh, one way to this event and that way to that event? And how about the liberals who are doing this and the conservatives who aren't doing that? And it was uh, just a uh, just a cacophony of sound, just screaming, screaming, and calling for comparisons. We must look uh, at this of January 6th in the context of last summer, and how can you this or that? No, no, no. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. If you have been listening to this program from the beginning, I often come down very strongly on those who, in a debate sense, will use uh, what I like to call whataboutisms, where one group will do something, someone will respond by saying, yeah, well, what about? Yeah, well, what about? And it is so often the case, at least in my estimation of things, that when someone resorts to a, yeah, well, what about? It means that they are not on sturdy ground from which to make their argument. And I have found similarities in that as those people uh, look to make comparisons between the 6th and the uh, the criminality that played out uh, in the streets of uh, our country over this past summer. And when I say criminality, 
I'm I'm not talking about the the peaceful protests. I'm not talking about those who operated within the law to communicate and exercise their First Amendment rights. Uh, there there was much of that, and I don't lump those. I don't lump those uh, who felt that there is systemic uh, injustice and inequality calling for change. I do not lump those into the same category as those who were smashing windows and looting buildings and destroying property. No, not at all. That second group is made up of criminals. And when uh, Debbie Dejanovic and I uh, sat here on these airwaves for uh, eight, nine hours reporting on the events that took place in late March here uh, in Utah's capital city. We had cameras everywhere. Chopper 5 was deployed. We looked down, and where there was uh, protest, we called it such. Where there was criminality, we called it such. And as the summer progressed and there were peaceful demonstrations and there was the peaceful exercise of the First Amendment, that's the title it got. And when there was destruction and criminality, that's the title it got. And so it was this past uh, January 6th that as we witnessed criminality, as we were presented with evidence of criminality, that's what it was called. And those who were uh, peacefully protesting, those who were voicing uh, you know, their concerns, exercising their First Amendment, that's the title it got. You have to look at these things objectively, and you have to look at them in uh, relative isolation. I understand that context is important, but to be distracted by comparisons can sometimes uh, lead us to lose sight of the severity of the nation of the issue that is right before us. So that is not giving anyone a free pass. That is not giving anyone an excuse for any behavior. It is saying simply that, at least on this program and in my mind, that when something comes up. It is going to be measured. I am going to offer opinion on it based on its own merits and its own circumstances. And I invite you to do the same. What aboutisms put us on shaky ground? Let's stay on solid ground. Quick break. For the final segment of today's program, <laughs> this story may feel like it's coming out of left field. But it's about the origins of Sweet and Low. <laughs> yeah, Sweet and Low. You see that on the diner counter. Those little pink packets. What does Sweet and Low have to teach us about today? Stick around, you'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.